existence of DC canon Judas implies the existence of DC canon Jesus. Is that true? Um, yeah. (laughs) I mean, Satan's real. Lucifer's around. That's true. Okay. It's probably the cold open. And welcome to Can't Let It Go, a show about the things stuck in our heads. My name is Matt, and I use he, him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they, them pronouns. I'm Alex Jaffe. I use he, him pronouns. Wow. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the show, show Alex. Alex. Whoa. Wow, you s- we can't do that at the exact same <laughs> well, time. <laughs> you know what? I insist you do it at the same time. I want to be welcomed in stereo. Yeah. We've only been friends for like 12 years, Matt. 15 years. It's been a very long time. We'll we'll, we'll start like fully being joined at the hip soon when Matt moves back to the the greater DC DC area. Yeah. Uh, Alex, thanks for being on the show today. Of course. Happy one year anniversary. Oh my gosh. Hey, Hey, (laughs) it's our one year anniversary. We recorded our very first episode one year ago today, which is wild to think about. Mm -hmm. We've covered a lot of topics with you all so far, and I am just like so excited to record so many more episodes of this, as many more as like Matt and I can stand, um, which mm-hmm. is a lot, probably. We, yeah, as I, you we can have tell, at least, <laughs> we have at least 10 more just like ready to go that we want to do immediately. Our so. note stock is wild. <laughs> I just think it's amazing that a year in after you've established this chemistry, that you've chosen to shake things up by adding a third co host. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're welcome. Welcome to the show, Alex. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, I uh, said to you in an email that I am aware of your work on Insert Credit, Mm -hmm. um, on 52 Pickup, which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the show. Oh, thank you. And uh, also your writing on DC.com. That's right. Heck yeah. Uh, All those endeavors are unrelated. (laughs) Everything I say in 52 Pickup is not meant to be seen as any kind of endorsement of my work over there. There are two separate Alex (laughs) Jaffe's. Whoa, he looks just like you. Yeah. You, you, you can you can speak to either of them. Okay, today. okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> Alex, I explained the concept of 52 Pickup on the show a couple episodes yeah. ago, but I'm betting that you can do a better job, both of what 52 is and, and what you and Gita are doing over on 52 Pickup. Okay, uh, so I've always wanted to be on a comic book podcast, having done insert credit since 2012. Wow. Uh, you know, I love video games, but my first passion has always been comic books. And uh, my favorite journalist in the field of comics coverage has always been, well, not always, but has been for many years now, uh, Gita Jackson. I do love who Gita. has written for uh, Paste, written for joystick written for all these different outlets uh just this incredibly incisive coherent commentary of uh just media literate reads of comics that are rarely applied to that field like it's so rare to see a journalist uh providing cogent criticism of the output of marvel and dc more than uh who died in the latest event or uh, (laughs) which uh, writer is disrespecting (laughs) canon. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fun to see some literary criticism as opposed to uh, 
the the nuances of kayfabe as it were yeah. uh, so i went to a shabbat dinner over at gita's uh last year i guess and uh gita mentioned that they were interested in doing a show uh their own podcast about 52 which was this comic book that came out in 2006 from dc where the idea was that rather than releasing an issue every month that most which is what most comics do mm -hmm. uh they would make the insane decision of releasing a comic book every single week uh, for a year without missing a week and to do it they would put four of the hottest comic book writers in the industry in a writer's room together so they could hash out the plot and they already had a beginning and they already had the end as mandated to them by editorial and they had to fill in the middle and it, there are just 10 million reasons why it should not have worked but mm -hmm. everything worked anyway in this just kind of miraculous moment of collaboration and creativity that many have tried to replicate since but have never been successful so Naturally, I spoke to Gita about this for three hours, <laughs> and by the end, by the time I came home, I got a text from Gita that was like, "We have to do this show together." <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> Alex, you yeah. you sold me on the show, and I've never read Fifty Two like like that. I'm like, yeah, actually, I think I need to read that, and also yeah. listen to your entire podcast. I love listening to your podcast, and I love when you all bring up Lost and like its comparisons to Fifty Two. Mm. Oh, yes. Um, and just like the era that it was written in, you all sold me so hard on the book that I listened to episode zero because I'm a big Gita fan. So I was there and uh, was finished with it by uh, about a week after episode one came out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, 52 was a huge step for both of us back in 2006 of getting into the idea of like a shared comic book universe uh, because the core concept of 52 is that after the big event of Infinite Crisis where your mileage may vary uh <laughs> superman batman and wonder woman were off the board they were all taking a sabbatical yeah. for a year for various reasons and 52 was about well when the biggest heroes are not around what happens in the dc mm -hmm. universe who picks up the slack who fills the vacuum who takes advantage which new heroes rise and uh it's really what I love about 52 and what made me fall in love with the DC universe through it was the idea of how big that world is when you get the looming figure of Batman out of the way. Yeah. It's not <laughs> Batman and all these other guys. There are thousands and thousands of weird little guys who are interesting right. in their own yeah. way. Now, when yeah. it comes to selling comics, it's definitely Batman and all the other guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But that's not what I'm there. For. Right, yeah. exactly. I love that. I feel like right now is a great moment for me to introduce our nugget because I feel like that is like we're so on track. Alex, you've teed us up incredibly. I am a professional. I'm going to talk about something about <laughs> something completely different for like five-ish minutes. And then we're going to hear all about one of those particular characters who is, you know, able to be noticed more when Batman is out of the way. So listener, my nugget for you this week is actually a callback 
to a previous episode where I tried to talk you into watching NBC's The Traitors, um, hosted by Alan Cumming, a game show that uh, had more survivor perils than our parallels. (laughs) Parallels. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Had more survivor parallels than I even knew um, Mm -hmm. and got me to watch Survivor, which we then talked about on the show. (laughs) Um, But season two is out and... It is juicy. I'm living. It's everything you could want. Matt, do you know what is different about season two of The Traders versus season one? Have you? I don't. Okay. I just know that like Sandra and Parvati are on it. Yes. Okay. So Sandra. Um, wow. Uh, Sandra is there and she is doing a lot. <laughs> Poverty is there and she is doing a lot. She's doing actually so much. It's incredible. Um, there are no regular people on this season, which honestly mm. I kind of miss. They're all B-list or is B-list Bravo? I don't know what, right. like what tier the Bravo celebrities like. So mm. this, this season, the like divisions are between the Bravo celebrities and and the um, like the gamers they're calling them. So the people who have previously mm. been on competition game shows of some kind. Got it. Um, so like that's where the divisions are forming. But like the the standout star is Phaedra, who was from one of the seasons of Real Housewives. This like level of um, sassiness that she brings to the table mm. is extra and new to me brought previously brought by Kate. Um, but now there's multiple people bringing that energy. And it's oh, incredible. No. Oh, no. <laughs> now, I listened to the episode where you previously brought this show up. Oh, yeah. probably. And, uh, <laughs> What I'm curious about is how Traders is different from the 2001 reality show The Mole that aired okay. on ABC. Okay. Okay. Yes. Great question. Um I also really liked The Mole. It does have some key differences. The first is that like they the mole right is a paid actor who doesn't win anything if like he beat the mole beats everybody else by getting to the end of the game in the traders they are all competing for the money if all of the traders get to the end of the game the three of them or however many of them there are at the end of the game could be one could be two could be three could be five we don't know mm-hmm. um is like a thing that they do it's been three every time so far but the traders who get to the end of the game split that prize money between a smaller number of people versus like if the faithful get to the end of the game they split the money among themselves and then there's a way that nobody gets money but that hasn't happened yet and i don't know if it would because it's not satisfying tv yeah it's also less styled like james bond and more like aesthetically like agatha christie correct yes Ah. yes and i mean it's set it takes place in a castle in scotland um, they really play that up. They let Alan Cumming dress himself, um, which is a really important part of why <laughs> I love the show. Yeah. Um, I am going to say, um, without spoiling the details, episode three is funeral funerary themed, mm-hmm. funeral procession march themed. Um, there is both a kilt 
and a very large billowing cape and a lace veil situation. So <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> it's um it I think the thing the other thing for me about it is that like it is campy in a very purposeful way that like a lot of game shows are often dancing around and it mm. instead just fully embraced this concept and was like we're all in we're not pretending this is anything other than a silly goofy time and they figured out that like people are there for Alan right like the the people are living for Alan and so there's a lot more like commentary on his little outfits and things like that so um it's been very fun and I if if I actually am very delighted to see that some folks who I know um, and if I have followed on socials because they're listeners of the show, people who I have seen <laughs> now posting about Trader Season 2, mm -hmm. Diana, Rochelle, I see you. It's so good this season. <laughs> I'm so excited you're watching along with me. Matt and I might do a finale episode. You guys might get it. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> if you ever want me back for a second episode that has nothing to do with comics, I could probably talk for hours about the one reality game show that I'm obsessed with. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is Taskmaster. Oh my God, I uh, love Taskmaster. <laughs> I am so obsessed with Taskmaster that I'm watching the Danish Taskmaster <laughs> right now because I've run out of English episodes of Taskmaster. Incredible. That's true dedication. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I have not quite gotten there yet. I have watched yeah. the Australia and UK seasons of The Traders. I enjoyed the US version the most, I will say. Um, and it's what I recommend. So uh, I love Taskmaster. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I don't even know where to start. But like, fortunately, that's not what I have to talk about. Today. <laughs> yeah. We can do that another time. Yeah. We can do that for the two year. Yeah, <laughs> that would be so fun. Well, with that, let's get into the question about it. the question. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard that before. But, oh, I, don't know. I, I, I can't stop hearing it, and I can't hear it enough. <laughs> Puns are part of the game. That's yeah. the whole DC yeah. thing. Have you never watched Adam West's Batman? <laughs> many, many I have, times. In fact, many times. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about uh, the DC superhero character, The Question. Well, he wasn't always a DC hero. Yes. So this is something I want to get into pretty immediately. <laughs> Alex, who, who or what is The Question? Okay, the question's this uh, fedora-wearing, blue-suited man who what got no face. And, uh, yeah, that he, he was created by Steve Ditko, uh, co-creator of Spider-Man, in the 1960s for a company called Charlton Comics that Ditko left Marvel for for a brief time because he was upset with, uh, you know, the raw deal that Stan Lee had given him. Sure. The way Stan kind of... Uh, mishandled his co-creators many times uh just ask jack kirby yeah. uh so what, what as part of that ilk he broke free to make some of his own heroes for this uh third string company based out of chicago i believe and uh the question uh was kind of very much a riff on characters like the spirit or mm -hmm. uh the shadow like kind mm -hmm. of the pulpy characters who were around and, the same time that Bob Kane and Bill Finger were creating Batman, if not a little bit earlier. Um, and his deal was that he was this morally un uncompromising sojourner of truth, where uh, he, by day, was this uh, news reporter 
and would expose inconvenient truths to people that they weren't ready to hear or didn't want to know or society was better off, uh, considered themselves better off not hearing. And uh, he would just go into these dens of iniquity and expose the corruption within them. And uh, despite the fact that everybody hated him for doing it, he would do it because he stood up for what he believed in everyone else be damned. This version of the question that Steve Ditko created is in like eight stories and oh. is the, <laughs> mm. uh, he's, he was a pretty obscure character. And when people <laughs> talk about the question, they think about this version because it's the version that Steve Ditko created and very famously the version that Alan Moore borrows when he's using the Charlton characters as ciphers in his seminal work, Watchmen, mm -hmm. uh, Rorschach, the character there is based on uh, the question. And the way that happened is that after Charlton went out of business, as most comic book publishers that came out about during the mid 20th century did, uh, DC went and bought their stable of superheroes from them in the 80s. They bought Blue mm. Beetle. They bought mm -hmm. Captain oh. Adam. They bought Nightshade. They bought Judo Master. And most importantly to me, they bought The Question. And uh, they, after a crisis on Infinite Earths, which was their big line-wide shakeup to uh, just set a new status quo for this crufty 50-year universe they had been building up since 1935, uh, they incorporated these new Charlton heroes as part of it. And uh, one of the heroes they needed this new interpretation of was The Question, who was this very hardline radical character who uh, had these, frankly, objectivist viewpoints. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's talk about the O word. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> Steve Ditko uh, would not tell you necessarily that he was a Randian, but he had a lot of respect <laughs> for Ayn Rand. Oh, uh, the Fountainhead was a, was a <laughs> and Atlas Shrugged were big seminal work for him. Oof. I met his nephew at Comic-Con last year, and he had a t-shirt on that said, who is John Galt? So that's kind of what's going on over oh, there. Boy. Oh, no. <laughs> so one of my questions to you I... was, what, what was behind Steve Ditko's creation of the question? And it yeah. sounds like we know. We know. Uh, and even the question was a dialed down version of what Steve Ditko had in mind. He had a, created another character around that time called Mr. A, who was even more radical mm -hmm. and did just kind of these uh, just uh, very much in line with what Alan Moore was, I would say, parodying in Watchmen of this character who is uh, who just. If you if you broke the law, you broke the law. Mm. There's no mercy for you. Mm. Uh, it j just this very black and white way of viewing the world. It's no uh, mistake that uh, Moore and uh, Gibbons gave Rorschach a literally black and white mask that doesn't <laughs> have any room for grace. It's very, very much intentional. It's within the text. Um, so they got this character. Uh, who is, in a sense, admirable, standing up for what you believe in, even when it's unpopular, has remained a cornerstone of the character. And it's something to aspire to, as long as you take other people's viewpoints into account. And, uh, like, it's objectivism 
Ayn Randism is not a system without merit. It's just when you get to the point, the end goal, which is therefore fuck everyone else. Right. That everything falls apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so interesting, right? That for a character named the question, there's just like this lack of ambiguity, right? Like Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and I'm about to get to that. I can't. I, oh, can't, I, I, I am. I now have questions and I, yes, and I need absolutely. to know more. So say more before I just start yes. peppering you. <laughs> His questions were about society and never about himself. Oh. Uh, which is what changes when he gets to DC Comics. When the question gets to DC Comics, uh, they give him to writer Denny O'Neill. Uh, Denny O'Neill was the resident hippie of the DC Comics writing staff. Yeah. He was the anti-establishment dude who, uh, wh- who was always the troublemaker. Uh, he created Ra's al Ghul. Oh. Uh, he, uh, well, he was the one who is pretty much responsible for giving Batman a personality in the 70s. Uh, he's the one who made Green Arrow into this left-wing socialist who hates cops and billionaires. Um, uh, Sorry. Denny's the best. Yeah. Sorry, I'm still laughing I gave Batman a personality. That's simply so funny and so true. Yeah. it's tr- on, Before 1970, Batman's personality was cop. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and in many ways it became his personality again. <laughs> oh, okay. In, in the, I'll say in the 1940s, it was scary cop. Ooh. Then it became Ooh, yeah. Yeah. cop. Yeah. And then yeah. mysterious cop for a while. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. So you, you mentioned the, you mentioned the O'Neill run. Um, yeah. And I actually, I picked this up on Black Friday at a, at a local comic shop that uh, sells their wall books for uh, $5, no matter mm-hmm. what they are. And uh, it's the number one. Oh, baby. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. That's one half of the question story I recommend to everybody. Uh, the question number one and two, 1986 to 1987. Cool. Which is when Denny O'Neill take, gets this character who is so morally the opposite of everything he stands for. And he's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill him in the first issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the, the question ends up confronting this mob he uh meets the assassin lady shiva who's maybe my second favorite dc character he gets the utter shit kicked out of him he's shot and he's drowned in a lake and the issue ends he's dead he is embarrassed and utter and utterly humiliated he's just gone next issue shiva fishes him out of the river Brings him back to life because that's kind of her whole deal, mm-hmm. uh, and le- and drops him off with her old training buddy Richard Dragon, who is this kung fu character from the seventies that Denny created when he was just starting comics. Mm. And Richard Dragon, he's a Zen philosopher, and he's all about kind of this holistic idea of the universe speaking to you through multiple voices, and you have to kind of listen to everything around you. And it's this entirely new thing for the question that other perspectives exist outside of his own. (laughs) And uh, the entire series is about the question learning to question his own reality, that maybe the world isn't as black and white as he assumed. And he's going to have to keep learning and growing and adjusting his perspective uh, to the world around him. And when I first read this series, it was a revelation to me because to quote, I think you should leave, I used to be a real piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to ask a bit of like, is, is the, uh, is the series talking to its readers in the way that comics can do sometimes? Oh, in this case, absolutely. I think Denny was, uh, it's very much an autobiographical comic for Denny mm. in that it's about, well, it does the same thing as his Batman's uh, arc and his, uh, green arrow stuff that it's about how none of us are really perfect, but the best we can hope to do is be a little bit better every day. And that's what a good person is. Um, and we, we all start from these relatively shitty places, but we can get better if we just listen to people and take into account the injustices around us. Mm. Heroism is not beyond anybody. Growth mm. is not beyond anybody. Uh, the question, where's this blank mask to erase his own identity so he can stand for an ideal, but it also represents a canvas that anything can be painted mm. on. And uh, this is something I learned long after I first got into the question because I was first introduced to the character through a cartoon. Oh my God. Um, Wait, there yeah. we go. I was literally, the question yeah. that I have teed up to ask you is, so my biggest thing, like my, I became a Batman fan as a kid because I watched the Justice League cartoon and Justice League Unlimited. And so that of is- Of course you did. Yeah, yeah. So Everyone like, our age did. Yeah. It was Bruce Tim and Paul Dini's universe that brought us into this. And it's like, and it's what, it is a show from childhood like that I go back to over and over again. It's the mm -hmm. thing that made me love Wonder Woman. Like I like yeah. it, and it's still maybe like it's pretty up there for me in terms of like Wonder Woman stories. Like when I think of like which Wonder Woman stories do I really enjoy, that's on the list of like my top yeah. five. So yeah. my question for you was like, how do you feel about how the question is portrayed in Justice League Unlimited? And like, do, is it true to this version in the comics? Is it is it something else entirely? Now, <laughs> this is a very interesting question. This is how I first got into him. This is how I first saw there's this weird guy lurking around the halls of justice yeah who's just like going around saying creepy stuff to people and everyone's kind of weirded out by it because <laughs> like that was something i really empathized with as a kid when mm. i saw it i was always kind of the weirdo in school mm. people yeah. didn't really get what i was talking about <laughs> and like i i was uh bringing up topics of conversation that like people took for granted yeah as just like social norms because i was autistic and didn't know it yet oh <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> same uh yeah uh so i empathize with that character very much and when he showed up in a early jlu episode with green arrow and supergirl just kind of walking up to these superman level villains and being like hey what's your deal yeah. without just like an ounce of terror in them yeah. and just zero explanation to why he's around with no face, no face. I, I i had to know literally everything yeah and like and, and you know like 52 the magic of justice league unlimited is that it showcased these characters you never got to see yeah. it wasn't just batman it was here are all these other weirdos in the dc universe and it was from justice league unlimited that ended in 2006 yeah and 52 started in 2006, and I saw the question was one of the main characters. I'm like, well, this is my onboard point. So it's through the question that I really got to the expertise in the DC universe that I now professionally employ today. That's really cool. Is that how you got into comics was through 52? I would say so. Um, yeah. 
my dad gave me a Captain Marvel treasury when I was three years old, and I learned to read off that. I collected Superman books in the 90s, and, you know, I love Batman the Animated Series. But I wasn't into the idea of, like, a collective comic book universe until 52. 52 was, mm. like, the moment where I went from following individual titles to I need to know everything that's yeah. happening here. <laughs> and it just hasn't let up since then. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Justice League Unlimited version of the question was created by the great Dwayne McDuffie, R.I.P., a genius. A genius. Uh, and he was kind of borrow like many of the best characters in that series, uh, was borrowing flavors from different interpretations to create one gumbo. Uh, so there was a lot of Rorschach in there. There was a lot of uh, Ditko's question of d that, like, uh, just hardline like personality who stands yeah. iconoclastically. Uh, but he had Denny's sense of humor and Denny's propensity for failure. The mm -hmm. idea that like he got this shit wrong all the mm -hmm. time, but he incorporated those failures and kept going. The purpose of the question is not to be right. It's to ask questions until you get those answers. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. I, I always really thought too of like the question as like such an interesting Con contrast to like Batman in the mm -hmm. way that like you are kind of like trained through these different forms of media that like Batman is contemplating these kinds of things but in his head that's why he's doing the brooding right and like the right. question is provoking these questions like is asking these things out loud in a way that I always yeah. found really relatable as well because like I'm stewing on it and then I also reach a point where I was like I met now I'm asking it out loud because it's occurred to me that I need to ask someone about it and it's that kind of idea of like a person who's trying to uncover this greater conspiracy that's hatched in JLU that makes it into 52 which was his next appearance after his, his next major appearance after his 80s uh, Denny O'Neill series, uh, which was uh, written by Greg Rucka, uh, one of the four writers of 52, who studied under O'Neill. They wrote a lot together. Uh, Denny was his editor. So he kind of inherited the question from him. And he took that kind of conspiracy angle. And uh, speaking of 52 being influenced by shows like Lost, uh, the dynamic between the question and Rene Montoya, who he kind of picked out as his protege, is very informed by like Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. Mm -hmm. Like these, oh my God. Uh, yeah, my babies. This, yeah, this this spooky guy who's insistent that the world is bigger than it is. Wow. And this skeptic in his shadow. Alex, you don't even know it, but that actually you could have just come on the show and said that, and you would have convinced yeah. me to read this entire <laughs> run. I love that so much i love fox Mulder so much i based uh, sure. my dungeons and dragons character on him so it's entirely incredible it's my it's my favorite television dynamic until they screwed it up and made them date each well other. <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> they solved that in the comics because renee montoya is a lesbian so oh, yeah. hey. it just works so i i have so many things to ask about yeah. this but just gotta say first I am so happy to have read 52 because it it and Batwoman um, have really just sold me on Renee Montoya mm -hmm. and also Greg Rucka. And oh, I'm yeah. just like huge fans of both of them. I know that uh, you and I have interacted on Blue Sky a bit, which is, you know, how you arrived here. <laughs> um, but you recommended to me um, some stuff just to more, more Renee Montoya uh, after reading 52. The question in here is, 
spoilers for 52, I guess, but <laughs> the, the ending of that, she takes on the mantle of the mm-hmm. question. And I'm curious, just like what versions of the questions, ex- the question exist out there other than like Vic Sage, the original and how do they differ from one another? All right. So I guess big spoilers for 52, but the big reason that Vic is looking for a protege is that he's dying of cancer and he needs somebody to pat. He he wants to influence someone who is in the same kind of dark space that he was when Richard Dragon pulled him out Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, pass that lesson on to somebody else. That's how he kind of maintains cosmic balance. There's nothing. uh, There's no value to what you learn unless you teach it to someone else. That's legacy. And uh, he meets Renee Montoya at the lowest point of her life. She had just come off of Greg Rucka's Gotham Central, where she was this major cop in Gotham City who gets disillusioned with the system and quits the force as the only good cop does. (laughs) And uh, she's just utterly directionless, looking for purpose at the bottom of a bottle and with whatever random woman she can hook up with. And uh, Vic gives her a purpose and uh, they become unlikely friends. And when he dies, she picks up his mission. And uh, it's a really beautiful passing of the torch. One of my favorite legacy stories in comics. Um, Unfortunately, the stories after that point can't really figure out much of what to do with Renee. Mm. It takes this really kind of like a cult bend where Mm. like, she's like investigating these uh, like the religion of crime and just like uh, coming face to face with Vandal Savage. And there's, uh, I there's some interesting stuff there, but it gets a little supernatural um ac you're making your face sorry. about the religion of crime <laughs> sorry I, yeah. I, I that's not something i've heard of before and i have yeah. so many questions i don't like that oh yeah <laughs> that's the question's last case he's uh investigating the religion of crime interesting which greg rucka has always said like i wish i gave them a better name <laughs> yeah they show up they show up in that batwoman story yeah the greg rucka batwoman story, and it's it's a choice. Uh, yeah, he that's... tries to pivot it to calling them the dark faith, but by that point, religion of crime has already stuck. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, the, and it turns out to be Vandal Savage, who's like one of the big bads of the DC universe manipulating everybody, mm. which fits Classic. because like he's always been kind of the head of this Illuminati organization. So I love the idea that Vic's nemesis of his entire career with this villain, he didn't even ever get to meet. Mm. And on, it's only Renee who ultimately confronts him. Uh, that's all wiped away in 2011 because of a reboot, which DC often does. Mm-hmm. And uh, Renee just kind of disappears for a while. And when she does come back, it's as a cop. And that's not fun for anybody. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and right now she's commissioner of the GCPD. But she's also like, maybe I can also be the question. And like, mm. no, mm-hmm. it's, it's one or the other. Maybe. Yeah, I played a little bit of that Gotham Knights game that came out yeah. uh, last year or the year before. Yeah, and, did you? And I, I replayed the beginning of it recently for some dumb reasons. And I heard them scream her name as I believe she was commissioner or like chief yeah. or something in that game. Um, I was yeah. like, oh, I get that reference now. Yeah. <laughs> In but while Renee Montoya disappeared in, from 2011 to 2016 and Vic Sage was off the board, too. There was a different question Mm. who was uh, part of this mystical outfit called the Trinity of Sin that was introduced by Jeff Johns in the new in his Justice League run, where it was Pandora, like the literal Pandora, 
okay. of the box fame. <laughs> uh, Phantom box. <laughs> yeah, Nay, Phantom box. Stranger, who's kind of a mystic, obscure DC character who they revealed to be the biblical Judas for oh some reason. Oh my God. What? <laughs> yeah. And that's why he has to walk the earth forever because he betrayed Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> this was a real thing someone decided. So, and then there was the question whose deal we didn't know. His his face and his identity had been stripped from him uh, so that it wasn't a mask anymore. That was just what his face was. And he had to kind of wander the earth without any identity of who he was. And it was this big unsolved mystery in the DC universe. this big like drop plot line. And like the number one question I get about the question is what this guy's deal was. <laughs> it was never explained in the comics. In fact, his last appearance is him grousing to the reader that we never got to get to my deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's incredible. So funny. Sorry, I'm still processing that. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, that happens in comics all the time. Yeah. With these shifting uh, priorities and editorial mandates and different uh, writers coming on. That There are these plots they set up that uh, just go unresolved. Uh, that's just the nature of collaborative comic book storytelling. When it's not just one guy doing it the whole thing. We can't be, we can't all be Eiichiro Oda making this like 25 year manga epic where you have every little detail plotted mm-hmm. out um it's a one piece reference yes i haven't seen that but i <laughs> oh i i could, I, I could come back <laughs> yeah i just finished episode 500 oh lord this is why i will never start one piece oh here's the thing about one piece once you start one piece you never have to ask again, what am I going to watch tonight? Because the answer is always one thing. <laughs> and there's a comfort in that. Uh, that's so funny. Matt, do you want to grab this next question? I have I have a, a follow-up question that we had written down that feels like a really, like, really well-suited at this point. What are the question's powers? How does that, like, what, like, okay, so we, we've kind of gotten into the meat and potatoes of, like, who is the question? How did this character come into existence? What, yeah. what does the question do? What's going on with his powers? <laughs> Here's his thing. The question's thing is that he does everything Batman does, but not as well. Uh, <laughs> he's pretty good at martial arts, but, like, most people who, like, specialize in martial arts could kick his ass. Okay. He's a very determined detective, but he's not able to, like, figure things out just by looking at a crime scene. He's got to, like, actually do the legwork. Okay. Um, so he's, he, like, he's, a regular dude. No he's a regular human ability. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah. Uh, he got this uh, chemical called... Uh, uh, pseudoderm, pseudoderm. Uh, which uh, a friend of his who is a professor, uh, Tot Roeder, uh, invented this uh, this substance that was m- used in medical patents that is like a fake skin. Oh. And he uses that to make the mask that he covers himself with, that he uh, binds to himself with this gas that makes uh, it unremovable <laughs> unless you uh, release the counter sorry uh, my little yeah. my little vaguely claustrophobic body is having a strong reaction to the idea yeah. of something it does bother me when I consider it. being placed over my nose and mouth <laughs> there's this great line in uh one of the first denny o'neill question uh stories where todd asks uh the question how it fits and he says like a tattoo <gasps> he doesn't even notice it wow wow yeah fascinating so i guess breathable <laughs> yeah. i mean like that makes sense yeah. he breathes 
Exactly. I don't like thinking about that. Okay. I have to think oh, about no, it's creepy. The whole point of it is to creep people out. Okay. But on an idealistic level, it's about erasing his identity. That he's not a person when he's the question. He's an ideal. Okay. That's so but, interesting, too, because like when we earlier in the episode, we were talking about um, who the questions were for and how like none of the questions were for him in that in that yeah. early iteration. It's like it's even built into his reasoning for putting on the mask. Yeah. Right. And it feels interesting, too, when it's a mantle that is passed, right? Because if it is not about him and his identity, then it is never about who's behind the mask. But it's so interesting that the the motivations, like the character motivations of like questioning society are such the, the big driver of like why they do what they do. It's very, that's cool. I like that. It's an, it's an idea that dates back to Spider-Man. When Steve Ditko was creating Spider-Man, the idea was we need to give him a mask that covers his entire face because the appeal of Spider-Man is that anybody can be Spider-Man mm. under that mask. Uh, it, it could, it could be anyone. Yeah. It, it's not about like, like Batman has that, like, chiseled chin of like uh, uh just like a forbes billionaire on there somebody who's like paid for implants you'll always know it's um, batman because he wears veneers <laughs> yeah he's he's he, he he's he's always been the giga chad me uh, <laughs> that's so true yeah uh, like the one line i love from brian azarillo's joker comic is where joker asks batman why he keeps that one piece of his face uh uncovered and his answer is just to mock you. <laughs> but that's not the case with Ditko's designs. Uh, with Spider-Man and with the question, the idea is that they could be anybody. And that's kind of a big part of the appeal for me. Also, as a person who's always kind of felt a little bit of body dysmorphia, I like the idea of erasing my identifiable features. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it, it's a concept that appeals to me. Sometimes yeah. I wish I didn't have a face. Yeah. And I am, my brain is teeming. Sorry, I got to slow down. I'm, I'm thinking too fast. Oh, you want me to show you my collection? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, let me take you on a tour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, pick up my webcam. Amazing. This um, is the best day yeah. of my life. <laughs> So uh, here I have every collected edition of the question oh my gosh. that's ever been uh, put out. Cool. I've got some omnibuses. I've got my favorite appearances. I got every variation of the question as an action figure that has ever been released. Um, wow. I I've even got the Funko Pop against my bitter judgment <laughs> just for completion of sake. I got three ver. I got three versions of the same guy in different colored yes. because yeah. I had to have them all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm about this life. I'm not just coming on here and making shit imagine, up. This is the thing I can't a, let go. Coming on our obscure podcast to make this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be an incredible break. I, as a person who collects, like, uh, comic book cover variants or book oh, yeah. for books I already have. I know that that's controversial, but um, <laughs> like I get, I get having the multiple colors of the same action figure. That makes sense. I'm a big cover variant apologist because it's more work for more artists. Yeah. What's wrong with that? It's cool yeah. art. It deserves to yeah. be seen. Um, in fact, one of the the first like one of the first like gifts that I gave Matt that I consider to be a very meaningful gift was uh, the a series of covers from um, a. Teen Titans run. Teen Titans was like my was like my animated show. That was like our friendship connection show. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been I've been rewatching Teen Titans lately, and uh, 
It sure was of its time. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, very much. So true. It <laughs> Not- spoke to me as a 14-year-old very yeah. deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, for a show called Teen Titans, it was very much 14. It was. Uh, you gotta give it that. <laughs> you do you have gotta to give, give it, it that. that. Um, okay, Alex, obviously, you are question expert, question lover. Like, what is something about the question that you wish you got to talk about more that like when you get when people ask about the question like what's something you don't get asked about that you wish you could tell people about the question hmm um i think uh well when most people think about the question they either think about rorschach or they think about the justice league unlimited question Mm -hmm. and what i want to impress about people is on people is that the question is a figure of change there's this Mm -hmm. uh metaphor that's used in the question number two of the old zen cohen of a man who dreams he's a butterfly Mm -hmm. but on the other hand he could be a butterfly who's dreaming he's a man and Mm -hmm. like his entire thesis is about uh adjusting his point of view that one Uh, way of looking at the world isn't necessarily wrong when it contradicts another way Mm. and uh, from those experiences we grow that the question is not this weird tire tread on burst stomach uh, the whores and politicians (laughs) will cry out save us and I will whisper no Uh, because as much as Rorschach was a criticism of this obscure superhero I think when Alan Moore created him he was also had very much that kind of like Batman in mind. The idea of uh, like just the idea of the hardcore brooding vigilante who stands iconoclastically to the government, not just the question, but the idea of like the badass superhero who doesn't play by the rules and how that's like, if that person existed in real life, he would be kind of pathetic. And Denny O'Neill very much came to the same conclusion as Alan Moore, and they both did the same thing, which was kill him. Except... <laughs> Spoilers for the end of Watchmen. <laughs> Read it anyway. It's a perfect comic it's book. Very good. I mean, that's that is actually a lot of the thesis of our show, Alex. Is we're going to spoil things for you, but we think we we think you should watch them anyway because it's worth the payoff, yeah. right? Like we think you should read it it's anyway. It. You know, it's it's a it's good so story. It's so intricate. Yeah. Um, I'm re- I sat in Barnes and Noble all day to day just reading over Watchmen again as I do like almost every year. Yeah, I get something new out of it every time. I, it's, it's great. Sidebar: I love reading comics in Barnes and Noble. That oh, is the like best. a a delicious experience that I love in the world. Yeah, last spring, uh, Barnes & Noble opened up literally across the street from me, and I am there every <laughs> single day. Yeah, boy. I would, too, yeah. if I lived across the street from a Barnes & Noble <laughs> dam. I live yeah. uh, I live back in uh, the town that uh, AC and I grew up in, and I had not spent a lot of time in Barnes & Nobles since uh, moving away from this place. Yeah. And since I've just been like looking for something to do, because Tulsa is not exactly the most active place in the world, I now go to the Barnes & Noble that I grew up going to very regularly <laughs> yeah. and just hang out and read comics or, you know, write videos or whatever it might be. Hell yeah. One thing I do want to impress is that the question is a character who does not really appear in comics anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he's really, we're real, the question fans, as few as of us as there are, we're really lucky to get a Vic Sage appearance maybe once a year in the deep mm. background of like a sh- uh, of like <laughs> a comic where 10,000 superheroes are there. Like he's really kind of fallen out of favor. Like 
you know, I said he got killed off, but there have been a couple reboots since then. He's around. So there's an occasional pop up here and there. But like all of like the fandom around the question has kind of drifted off to other things because we've run out of stuff to talk about because mm-hmm. it's just not showing up places. Mm. Uh, and it, it, it feels weird to be a fan of a character who just does not show up uh, for years at a time. It's a, like, it's one thing to be like a Lord of the Rings fan where like you're a fan of a complete work that like you don't expect Gandalf to show up again mm-hmm. in the, uh, the comic. But like yeah. the fact that the question is part of this universe that comes that has new installments out every single week. Mm-hmm. You're like maybe this week, maybe this week yeah. is back. Maybe this week someone does something with them, and it just never happens. Yeah, that makes me think. Do you think that like the creation and like the prominence of the question, like getting his own run, getting you know their own runs, regardless of who is the question at the time? is a product of the time that the question was first conceived. Do you think it's because there's like less space for that kind of character for the modern reader? Or do you think it's more like there's another character who's filling that role doing that kind of, you know, well, there, there is another character who's film fulfilling that role. And you may have heard of them. They're called Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and the way that they will introduce entirely like new Batman stories that are like side stories as a way to like, frankly, it's to sell books. So I, I get yeah. it. It's I'm not, it, I don't know. I like Batman too. But um, yeah, I, I can understand why that would be the case. Yeah. Uh, in DC Comics, if your name is not Bruce Wayne, you're going to have a hard time getting panel space. <laughs> That's what sells. You know what? Can't get enough of Batman. So true. I mean, I I think I like Batman as much as the next person. Obviously, Batman is like a character that is persisting in my life. But we 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 need more Batman hate in the chat. I think is 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 what is is what's going on here. Um, When when you like me are a consumer of all DC media. There's a lot of Batman. There's a lot of Batman. That's there's just so much. Batman. That's a good reminder. Cause like as a casual consumer of DC, right? Like I feel yeah. this way. I feel this way. And I think my, my analogy here is like about X-Men. It's, it's enough with the Wolverine. We do get it. Yeah. Wolverine um, is your Batman. Absolutely. <laughs> we get it. Um, yeah. Every, literally every other X-Men. Ca- okay. I'm sorry to the Logan fans out there. Literally every other X-Men character is more interesting than Wolverine. <laughs> but like as X-Men fans, I'm sure you're, uh, you're diehard fans of one particular Correct. deep bench X-Men character. <laughs> Yana Rest. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Matt's coming in hot. He's ready. Yeah. <laughs> also, she's got a sword. She's got an accent. What's not to love? Yeah. Also, the uh not mutants, but uh Wiccan and Hulkling. I really only need yeah. the MCU to last as long as it takes to see an on-screen kiss between Wiccan and Hulkling. I want that twink obliterated. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
Oh God. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that we got there today. <laughs> Incredible. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I love her. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you get it. You understand what it's like to be a fan of this deep bench comic book character in a universe that persists forever, Yeah. Mm-hmm. that they're there and there's the potential for them to show up, but not this week champ, maybe next time. Yeah. I, I yeah. feel like I, I did really, really luck out by them finally deciding to do something with Scarlet Witch prominently featured. Yeah. Now I do have opinions about <laughs> how Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch is portrayed, but that was my feeling about Scarlet Witch for a long time. Um, she's and much more know, famous now. So sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> like one of the other characters I'm a major fan of is Cassandra Kane. Uh. The oh, one true Batgirl. Love. And uh, for many, many years, there was a great cast drought. And now she's like a major character yeah. in multiple DC titles. So like it can happen. It can happen. I loved Wayne Family Adventures, that which was one that actually you recommended to me. And love, uh, she's, love she's prominent as the rest of the Bat family is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, I can't I can't wait to read more Cassandra. Oh, God. Wayne Family Adventures is so good. I can't wait for them to come out with season four. I think they're coming up on. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, made man. me a webtoon freak. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I love it. <laughs> It's it's very funny that the most popular DC comic is a free web comic, but I guess that makes yeah. sense. So you we've mentioned that there's not been a lot of question stories recently. Yeah. Um I'm curious, like why do the question stories work for you? Like what are those stories about and what are the ones that work? Um, the best, like what are the aspects of those or the attributes of those? What I love about the question is that a good question story, even going back to the justice league unlimited question episodes is that they're about failure. They're about someone who is so sure that the world is one way and the scales falling from their eyes and realizing the world is an entirely Mm. different way. Uh, in the, that in jail, you, he's, uh, following this big conspiracy that he's sure Lex Luthor is behind with his bid to be president when it turns out something else completely is going on. And Luthor just kind of beats the shit out of his office as he taunts him about how off base he is. (laughs) And like, that's the question to me that he Mm -hmm. is just going to eventually arrive at the truth, but he's going to get the shit kicked out of him physically and emotionally and mentally at every step towards the way. In the question annual, in Denny O'Neill's run, uh, the question has a chance to uh, honor this great sage who has like a dying wish to be united with his family before he dies and he fails he uh there's this storm at sea and he and the body is lost at sea and he's like well what good am i i can't even i i can't even honor the dying wish of this great man uh and later he finds out that the man's family also died at sea. And Mm -hmm. like (laughs) what what really happened is that through his failure, he arrived at a greater truth. And it's just like, you never really know what the universe has in store for you. And it's very much different from Batman's idea of like following the Riddler themed clues to the Riddler. (laughs) So you can put him in jail and then fight the Riddler again next month. The question doesn't really have super villains 
the Riddler shows up in one issue of the question just kind of to poke fun at the idea of how ridiculous the concept of supervillains are. Uh, (laughs) Just like the Riddler shows up on a bus to Hub City and he just comes off as this really pathetic loser. And when the question starts asking him the riddles that plague him, the philosophical quandaries that keep him up at night, the Riddler has no response Mm -hmm. because that's not the kind of question he's into. Yeah. Into things where the answer is like a big block of ice, or the doctor was a woman, <laughs> or you getting kaboinked on the head by a giant mallet. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's more Harley Quinn. But yes. That's true. That's true. It's so fair. <laughs> that's so interesting. Do you think the question is like supposed to be a stand-in for the everyman in that way? Of like the if somebody regular tried to do this, this is what would happen. Like, is he that kind of side character or is he something else entirely? He's a little bit like that. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a little more realistic, uh, a little, uh, adheres a little more to what it would be like if one of us went out to try and like put on a mask and fight crime. Yeah. Uh, even if we were really, really good, we would get the shit kicked out. Of Absolutely. Us. We would go down the wrong avenues. <laughs> Uh, and what's, I mean, what the question and the bat and Batman have in common is that idea that they don't give up. They keep doing mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. that's really what the appeal of these street level superheroes are. That's the appeal of daredevil. That's the appeal of, uh, other street level Marvel hero put here. Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Luke Cage, yeah. uh, Jessica Jones, yeah. Jessica Jones, uh, uh, Agents of Shield. Oh boy! (laughs) Don't. That's another episode we can do. I was just naming TV shows. Fair enough. Um, That one just came for us unintentionally. So we've talked a bit. We talked a bit about the O'Neill run specifically, but I'm curious if there are any other, be it writers, be it artists, uh, hell, be it letterers, you know, that um, have brought something to the character that you find interesting. Uh, Interesting, yes. Uh, Rick Veitch, who is best known for his work on like stuff like Swamp Thing, Mm. did this 2005 question miniseries where he basically made him this psychedelic drug addict who believed (laughs) he could speak to cities. And it's a run that like a lot of question fans are really into. I am not personally. I, I think it's pretty distant from the things that make the question relatable, but it is a very interesting take. Um, like I said, Greg Rucka did really cool stuff with him. Uh, before 52, kind of a setup to that series was a uh, mini series he wrote called Batman Huntress Cry for Blood, mm. which, uh, despite the title, has very little to do with Batman. Batman is in the title so that people buy it. Right. Uh, <laughs> It's really more of a question and Huntress story. And it kind of represents in retrospect the question's first attempt to kind of find a protege and bring them back from the brink of darkness and learn the same lessons that he did, except trademark to the character, he fails. It Mm -hmm. doesn't stick. And like he tries to keep uh, Helena Bertinelli, who's this daughter of a mob boss whose family is killed in front of her and she swears to kill every member of the organized crime families in Gotham. She's basically DC's Punisher around Mm. that time. Uh, And he tries to show her there's a better way to live and he fails. She Mm. goes around and kills the people she need that who she thinks needs killing anyway. And like, it's this very torrid, 
kind of doomed love affair they have in the comics that gets an accidental happy ending in the cartoon. Maybe you remember the episode Double Date. Oh, yeah. Where I did, the in question fact, ends up watch with parts of that episode before yeah. we talked today. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was written by Gail Simone. Uh, and uh, the similarities to Cry for Blood are actually a coincidence. Gail had never oh, ri- wow. read Cry for Blood. She just accidentally arrived on the same exact story, but with a happy ending this time. Wow. Because she originally wanted to do a Birds of Prey story because, you know, she came up on Birds of Prey. Uh, that was her big success. Uh, except uh, at the time, they weren't allowed to use Batman characters other than Batman because they were being used by the Batman and oh. happening at the time. <laughs> One uh, of those. So because yeah, so because she couldn't use Barbara Gordon, she's like, well, what do I do now? And Dwayne McDuffie, who's the big question fan, he's like, why don't you use the question? Mm. And she's like, okay. And it turned into this cute double date thing. Huh. And it just so happened to coincidentally have the same plot structure as this comic that uh, Greg Rucka had written with editor Denny O'Neill six years prior. That's really cool. Yeah. So question for you. If Vic Sage's question is divine, defined by failure what is is Renee Montoya's question defined by anything other than maybe like <laughs> subpar runs uh I think it's uh like Vic Sage uh the question uh, that Renee Montoya represents is a search for the self who she is mm. because as we find her on the outs of uh Gotham Central she was forcibly outed as a lesbian by Two-Face. Uh, she mm-hmm. uh, was witness to these horrible uh, incidents as a member of the police force that disillusioned her with her traditional view of good and evil. Uh, she was disowned by her family. And like she doesn't know who she is anymore. And the question is about finding her place. And uh, many of these cult stories that Greg Rucka explores after 52 are about dealing with these different vices and uh what and how she uses them as crutches and how uh and how we define ourselves by our flaws and that how uh that's something to accept and grow past and just the idea of renee montoya is the question who am i mm-hmm. uh that's what that's really about. Uh, but now it's about whether she can be a superhero while also being a cop. <laughs> and uh, I think the answer is no. Yeah. But yeah. she hasn't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of stories where the answer is no. I don't know that we yeah. needed another one to solve that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I have many more questions without like going and reading some of these runs myself. Maybe the next question is like, where would you recommend somebody like me who's like really excited by this part of the conversation? Like, where should I, where would you recommend I start? And like, I just want to say that this has been a very, very cool and interesting, like, I am not really good at like the history stuff behind comics. Folks who are like in it, right? Like Matt is really good at this. You are really good at this. Like knowing those like intricate details of like the writers and the different runs and stuff like that often helps build a different picture of like a di- almost a different character, right? In, in particular mm-hmm. with the question here, right? Like the the version that's in JLU isn't the version that's in any, you know, in some of these other stories or runs. Right. I'm not as familiar with anything outside of that. Um, and so it's been very interesting to like learn that 
there are so many different iterations of it and it's a, a mantle that's been passed like other characters and things like that. So where, where does somebody like me start? Where, where, where do we go? <laughs> well, what I did is uh, what happened to me is I went backwards. I started with Vic Sage's death uh, in 52. Mm. And then from there I was like, well, where else has this guy been? So I think 52 is a great place to start because it's kind of going to wean you from that animated incarnation to more like what he's done in comics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's a version of him that's very much connected to the denny o'neill characterization just kind of greg rucka's loving tribute to the guy who helped him like create his own persona within the comic book writing world so what i would recommend is that you read 52 then you go back and read the question then you read gotham central and then you read 52 again okay I like this yeah. plan. <laughs> I like this plan too. That's a, that I also sounds, like yeah. any plan that gets me to reread 52. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Cry for Blood is optional. Okay. Put that in there. Okay. I've got my notes. Yeah. I've got my assignment. I'm really excited. I'm really, I'm reading a very compelling, but sort of dry nonfiction book right now. And I will need a palate cleanser after that. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to oh, it. Yeah. All right. <sighs> to hear me more, blather on more about, 52 every other week uh you could listen to my podcast yeah. 52 pickup where we <laughs> dissect every single issue and extract every morsel of it panel for panel hell yeah. yeah i love the thing you all said i believe it was in episode zero that you were like it's so ambitious to do a weekly comic that we're not even going to try and do it with this show or maybe that was <laughs> right. that said that. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah we're doing a bi-weekly show about a weekly comic yeah. that's uh <laughs> I love That's that. That's where we're at. I'm excited to get uh, another two years of that show. Hell oh, yeah. baby. Oh, and I got plans after that. Believe <laughs> oh, me. Oh, boy. I'm excited. Uh, just uh, make sure you're subscribed to the great website, Aftermath, which uh, provides great video game and culture criticism written by people who actually care about it and are not controlled by corporate interests who need to pivot to what the latest Fortnite trend is yeah. uh, in order to tell you uh, interesting stories. Oop. They're lots of really good writing yeah <laughs> to support great independent journalism subscribe to that and that's what funds us hell yeah so uh yeah hell yeah, yeah. definitely i'm a subscriber uh, you know I've, I've said many times i'm a big fan of you big fan of gita but also a lot of the folks from aftermath i've you know followed luke plunkett over there for mm -hmm. a long time so hey alex what is your favorite either ongoing or recent limited series that people should pick up Oh, something that's in stores right now. Uh, yeah. well, I really, really loved uh, Jadzia Axelrod's Hot Girl series. I think that's a really wonderful story about a character who has just not gotten her due since she was introduced in like 1999. Um, and it's a sequel. It's sort of a semi-sequel to Jadzia's Galaxy, The Prettiest Star, which is a great coming-of-age uh, trans story set in the DC universe and it's just like this it's unlike anything I've ever read before and I think if you could check that out that would mean a lot to me um, that's really sweet you know, yeah I, I think listeners to this show would appreciate that yeah yeah sounds good yeah I'm also really enjoying birds of prey right that now. I actually just remembered <laughs> I just remembered something. Um, existence of DC canon Judas implies the existence of DC canon Jesus. Is that true? Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, I mean, okay. Satan's real. Lucifer's around. That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going to need more time real. to recover um, and think about that. Look, um, <laughs> it's like, the, it, it, it's, it's, you know, like I grew up 
Jew. I, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. It's like we believe Jesus existed, but sure. was he the savior? I sure, don't know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Just specifically, Judas condemned to walk the earth because yeah. he betrayed Jesus. Is what's right yeah. me. Like, don't worry. That's probably. I will say that's probably that's probably not canon. Sure, sure, sure. I just it uh, was at one point. Yeah. It was at one point. It's probably the cold open. Um, <laughs> My little jokes. Uh, Alex, is there anything you wanted to uh, share with us uh, before we sign off? Okay. Um, I have a monthly column at DC.com called Ask the Question, uh, where you can submit your questions about the weird intricacies of the history and lore and scope of the DC universe. And I will do way too much research to figure out the answer for you. If I don't know it off the top of my head already, Alex, I'm it's obsessed. my favorite thing ever. I'm obsessed uh, with the name of that column. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> a, that's, that's my favorite new thing. Incredible. Yeah. And that's me. I'm, I'm the question. Hell now. Yeah. I've realized all my dreams. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, check out action button. Uh, that uh, YouTube channel that I uh, do some work for hosted by the great Tim Rogers. I'm a big fan. We didn't mention it earlier, but we got something big cooking. Ooh. I can't say what it is, but we got something Ooh, cooking. Talking about having something big cooking. You guys always have something big cooking. It's always <laughs> huge and I'm always a fan of it. So. Oh, this is, this is something else. This is pick your, get ready to preemptively pick your jaw up off the floor. Whoa. Oh. If you liked the Boku video, Whoa. if you liked the cyber punk video yes. if you like the tokimeki memorial video this is just like another level of ambitious Incredible. i cannot believe this thing i'm working on i'm very very excited about amazing it. yeah I, I i must shout out and this is shouting out a different co-host of yours um mm -hmm. the thing that i am stoked about um that is sort of in your realm of influence is demon school that, Demon school rules yeah that uh, britain sheffield and that and that team are working on um i am so excited but yeah glad to have you here big fan of insert credit big fan of 52 pickup i mean let's complete the trifecta shout out to the video game history foundation hey. Frank Cifoli, hey. my co-host on insert credit uh, doing the important preservational work they recently announced that they're opening up this digital library of every video game magazine ever published holy shit which is just this incredibly ambitious history changing endeavor they're doing so check that out and yeah. give them some money so they can keep doing it and yeah i happen to be fortunate to work with a lot of cool people and also my favorite characters yeah, yeah. and rules. you also yeah. do really great work yourself so <laughs> yeah thank you yeah hey where can people find you on the internet if you would like to be found on the internet um you can find me at alexjaffe.bisky.social uh <laughs> I Bisque. am hub city question in the DC community, community.dcuniverseinfinite.com. Uh, and I think that's about it. Cool. That's where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Uh, Twitter's a cesspit, you know. Yeah. We know. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, to quote myself many episodes ago at this point, you know, piss baby, Elon yeah. Musk, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, AC, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on the internet at acfachi.com, a website specifically that I built so that we could have something to link to that was not Twitter for me. So mm -hmm. find me at acfachi.com where you can pretty much find links to this show, which you can find at can'tletitgo.gay. Correct. <laughs> 
You can find me at matthorton.live. As AC just said, you can find the show at can'tletitgo.gay. You can find us on Instagram threads and TikTok at can'tletitgo.gay. We have a TikTok. It's there. We do. Um, thanks to The Worst Garbage for having us. You can find the network at theworstgarbage.online. You can find us in the Discord. Sorry, Matt. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> Come hang out with us in the Discord. We'll chat with you about Trader Season 2. If you want to talk to me about Trader Season 2, we'll chat with you about the question. Whatever it is, we're there. It's hot. There's there's stuff going on. Come hang out. Yeah. Um, shout out to the people that help us make the show scout who made our art, uh, when she has commissions open, you can find her at co-fi.com slash humble goat. I got my commission back from oh my God, scout it's so cute. of my avatar and I love it. Thank you so much, scout. <laughs> Thank you to at pragmatism on Twitter, my friend Ethan for making our music. And next time I am thrilled to tell you. Oh my God. That we're going to be talking about the Matrix Resurrections and Sense A. Oh, baby! <laughs> what a hot movie! Uh, we are... I love that movie so Matrix much. Resurrections is so good! <laughs> God damn! That movie rules. Matt oh, and yeah. I are going to gush at you about gay techno culture, and it's going to be gay and fun. Yeah. And that's what we promise here on this show. Especially gay, um, especially trans. Yeah. Uh, we love Lana Wachowski. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. I think that's All it, right. Matt. We did it. Another episode. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, for coming Thank and being you, our Alex. guest. It was our honor to have you on the show today. Of course. One ne- year. When, whenever you want to talk about Taskmaster, I'll be back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason that I will actually invest time in watching Taskmaster. <laughs> Your time starts now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you all next Bye. time. Bye. Oh my God, Alex, thank you so much. Oh, that was a hoot.